Well, good morning, church. Do it again. Good morning, church. Thank you. You're awake. I appreciate that. Folks, it's good to be back with you and to be able to share the Word of God with you on this very special occasion in the life of your church, your 18th anniversary. I uh, had been contemplating, because I've known about this for about a year, uh, just what I was going to share with you. And I was looking at several different uh, possibilities, and my wife said, this is what you ought to do. (laughs) And you know what? She was right. And uh, I want to share with you from Acts chapter 9 this morning. Acts chapter 9, I want you to turn there with me, and I want you to follow along as I read. One of the things I've discovered in ministry down through the years, having pastored three churches full-time and served in an interim in over 30 of them as I've been involved in uh, the academic arena in the latter part of my ministry. One of the things I've discovered is you get a building and sometimes people begin to think we've arrived. Now we can sit back and enjoy it. We've accomplished our goal. And all you've done is accomplished a means for accomplishing your goal. So we want to talk about that a little bit this morning. I want you to follow along as I read Acts chapter 9 beginning at verse 9. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them to Jerusalem. And as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And as I said in the early service, I think he probably said, whoops, I'm in trouble now. (laughs) And Jesus said, but get up, enter the city, and it will be told you, what you must do. Now let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so very much for the privilege of being able to share the word of God with the people at Fellowship Bible Church. Thank you for the progress. Thank you for the new facilities. Thank you for the people that have made it possible for all that have come to know the Lord down through the years. We pray now that you'll minister in a very special way through your word and the power of the Spirit to challenge us anew and afresh with direction in our lives. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say to you this morning that the message that I intend to share is a message really for people that have accepted Christ as your Savior. Now, as I look out over this congregation, there's a few faces that I recognize, but most of you, I don't know who you are. And I don't know anything about your spiritual condition. 
And like so many other churches, Fellowship Bible Church is probably a church that is attended by people who've never accepted Christ as their Savior. That's not unusual. As a matter of fact, that's what happened in my own life. I was baptized when I was 12. I even went forward and said I was going to be a preacher somewhere around 15. And I wasn't a Christian. In fact, I didn't become a Christian until 1957 when I was 17 years of age. At 9.30 in the evening in Richmond, Virginia, in Holland Park, I knelt in front of a lawn chair with Cliff Taylor, and I accepted Christ as my Savior. I've been a church member all that time. Mom and Dad were church members. Dad had taught Sunday school since he was 17 years of age. But I had the privilege of leading my dad to Christ. He wasn't a believer. Mom didn't become a Christian until 10 years later under a man by the name of Oliver B. Green, <laughs> if you ever heard that name. She listened to him on the radio and became a believer. But my story is not unusual. And there's probably some folk here this morning like that. And if you're here today, let me just challenge you as I begin this message for the people of God. That if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you need to recognize that when Christ died on that cross, he was paying the penalty for your sin so that you could go to heaven as a free gift from God. And all you need to do is say, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I want Jesus' death on the cross to pay the penalty on my behalf so that I can have the righteousness of God. And then you can be part of the family of God. Behold what manner of love the Lord has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And if you haven't done that, I challenge you to do it. Because the message that I want to share tonight is to people who are this morning, is to people who have already done that. I want to start by saying to you a little bit about two friends. One is with the Lord, the other one is still alive. One you'll recognize the name, the other you will not. D. James Kennedy is a man who's just gone to be with the Lord. But many of you watched him on television from his place down in Fort Lauderdale and so on, in the school that he started and all the rest. It's a tremendous ministry. We don't necessarily agree with all of his theology, but he was a man that God used in a very special way. A very extraordinary man that accomplished an extraordinary task. He started that EE program. So many people had been trained to go out and share the gospel with others through evangelism explosion. That's his baby. Now, the other man is a friend. By the way, I knew D. James Kennedy from the, my days at Southeastern Bible College, and I used that term friendly, or friend, kind of loosely because we weren't buddies by any stretch of the imagination. But we did interact because of that relationship. But the other fellow is a guy by the name of Dr. James Faulkner. You've never heard of him. I know you haven't. He's from... Birmingham, Alabama. He's a surgeon there. Now, people in Birmingham know him because he's a fantastic orthopedic surgeon. 
But Jim and his wife, who's gone to be with the Lord now, used to go on missions trips, do medical work, talk to people about the Lord, seek the window to Christ. Very active in the local Bible church there in Birmingham. An ordinary man. You say, well, he's kind of special. He's an orthopedic surgeon. What I mean is that in the church of Jesus Christ, he's just like you and me. He had a specialty. He was a layman, but God used him in special ways. Now, all the politicians quote Abraham Lincoln. I'm not a politician, but I'm going to quote Abraham Lincoln. He made this statement. God must have loved the common people because he sure made a lot of us. Isn't that right? And as I look over Fellowship Bible Church, most of us are just regular people. And that's good. Nothing wrong with being ordinary. Amen? Amen? Just common folk. And I agree with Abraham Lincoln. He made a lot of us. He must think we're special. And what I want you to see this morning, child of God, is Christians have the tendency to think that everybody's got to be a D. James Kennedy if God's going to use him. And God does use extraordinary people to do extraordinary tasks. But the other side of the coin is God does use and wants to use people like you and me, ordinary people, to do an extraordinary task. And that's what I want to challenge you with today. As we look at the text that is before us, it is a text in the book of Acts that is interrupting the overall flow where the evangelism is being spread from Jerusalem throughout the area, even into Samaria. And it's not until you get to chapter 13 that we begin to see the church spread around the rest of the world. But right in the middle of it, we have chapter 9. And in chapter 9, Saul becomes Paul. Saul is introduced to Jesus Christ and asks him to come into his life. Now let's talk about that for just a few minutes. I want you to notice several things about this extraordinary man. History tells us, and as we look at the text, he studied under Gamaliel, tremendous teacher in that day. So he was a student of one of the great extraordinary people. And he's also the guy who wrote 13 or 14 of the books of the New Testament. And if you've got your theology right, he wrote 14. He wrote <laughs> Hebrews, though he's not identified in the book. And if you don't believe that, just wait till you get to heaven. You're going to find out. <laughs> but he was a great theologian, a great author of Scripture. He started all kinds of churches. Extraordinary man. And there are several things that are told us about this man in the text. I want you to look at them. Look at verses 1 and 2. First of all, he was fanatical about his religion. Look at it. Now Saul, still breathing uh, threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked for letters from him 
to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that is, to the Lord Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He's fanatical. He wasn't saved, but he believed in the Old Testament Yahweh religion. He just didn't know Christ. But there's a second thing that's just as significant about this fanatically religious man. And that's the fact that he was sinful. I want you to look at the text. Notice what it says. Again, it's alluded to when you come to verse 1. Now Saul, still breathing threatenings and murder against the believers. He was a sinful man. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1 puts it this way. This is a true, trustworthy statement. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then it says, as in the old King James, of whom I am the chief. He recognized his sinfulness. So he's fanatical about his religion, but he's a dirty, rotten, stinking sinner. But there's a third thing that is told to us about him. And thank the Lord. Because not only was he fanatical and sinful, but he was also redeemable. Look at chapter 9, verse 3. And he was traveling. And it happened that as he was approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and a voice, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Well, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. Get up, enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. Now what we discover here is we compare scripture with scripture is when you go to chapter 26, the Apostle Paul tells us about this event that is being described here. And one of the things it tells us is that the Lord Jesus tells him and the disciples confirm it for him that he is one that is going to take the message of the forgiveness of sin to all the peoples of the world, to King, to the Gentiles, and to the sons of Israel. The message of forgiveness of sin. In other words, the Apostle Paul got saved here because God tells him, now I want you to go tell everybody else. He was fanatical. He was sinful. But he was also redeemable. But a third thing, a fourth thing that I want you to see. Verse 6. But get up, enter into the city, and it will be told you what you must do. Extraordinary man is going to be given an extraordinary task. If you go over to verse 15, there's a little more explanation when it's told. But the Lord said to him, go, for he, this is talking to Ananias, Go to him because he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, before the kings, and before the sons of Israel. 
extraordinary task. Now, folks, I want to say to you, I kind of expected that. Extraordinary man, highly gifted, and God gives him an extraordinary task. Most of us understand that. Not only was he given a task, but he was quite successful at it. He was successful. Look at it, verse 19. And he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were in Damascus. And then in verse 20, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, he's the son of God. Now I want you to look up here a minute. Here was a great theologian, Old Testament scholar, who was fanatical in what he believed about the Old Testament. And uh, all of a sudden, he discovers the key that unlocks the door that helps him to understand how he can have an intimate relationship with Yahweh, the God of Israel. A Messiah has come, and he's found him. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And so consequently, all of a sudden, he can take all of this theological, all of this Old Testament knowledge that he understands, and now he can make it click in his own mind. He can share it with others, and immediately he begins to explain it to everybody else. He just become a Christian. Extraordinary man with an extraordinary task. As I've said, nothing special about that. That's what we expect. We've got a church full here, I think, primarily ordinary people. Now, the pastor didn't like me saying this this morning, but I think he's an extraordinary person. I mean, he's been here and look what's happened. God and his leadership has used him to get that done. And there's probably a few other extraordinary people. Most of you are just like me, just regular folk. And here's the devil's lie. Many a Christian never accomplishes the extraordinary tasks that God wants them to accomplish because they know they're not an extraordinary person. I want you to see what God has done with an ordinary person. In Acts chapter 9, he tells us about Ananias. The whole chapter is about Paul getting saved and what God was going to do and did do with him. But there's a parenthetical section in verse 10 through verse 18, just stuck in the middle, and it talks about an ordinary man. Now listen to me. Here's why God wanted me to share this passage and this message with you today. You've reached a milestone as a church. 
I assume if you're walking with God and you love Fellowship Bible Church, you want this place absolutely packed so that both services are inadequate to hold a crowd. And you have to start another building program. And the pastor and his associate have to get up here and do their signs and the brick. <laughs> Listen to me. It's not going to happen unless ordinary people are willing to let God do extraordinary things through them. Look at Ananias. First thing I want you to notice about him. He's just as ordinary as a fence post. Look at it. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Okay. There's his bio. His resume. His name and his hometown. Boop. That's the end of it. He is a very typical individual. Nobody special. He's one of those people God must love because he made an awful lot of us. People like you and me. The text says, man, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Typical. That's all there is. Then notice Verse 11, and the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. And he had seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And when that light flashed, the Apostle Paul was blinded. Now God tells Ananias, this very common, ordinary person, I want you to go and heal that great, extraordinary person. Wow. You see it? The problem that all of us have to overcome, child of God, is the fear of doing what it is that God wants us to do. Look at it, verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to the saints of Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who are called by his name. Fear. He's typical, but he's also fearful. Can you identify with that? I can. I've been in ministry for over 50 years, and every time I stand up in the pulpit, I have to deal with the fact I'm an introvert by nature. You say, oh, no, no, no. Yes, I am. And you want to know somebody else who was? Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He would walk up to the pulpit saying, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Why? He's scared to death. 
And there is Ananias, a very ordinary guy. God wants him to do a very extraordinary task, and he's scared of it. And many of you are the same way. Amen? Now look at the text. It says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the son of Israel. What is he saying? You're useful. You're an ordinary person, but I've got an extraordinary task for you to do. You handle that fear. When I was pastoring in, in Dayton, Ohio, I started training my men in evangelism. People would come to our church and we'd go to visit them and thank them for coming. It was thrilling to see them come to church. And one of my men, a deacon, Kenny Elsner is his name, he started going with me, volunteered to go. And we'd go into a home and thank them for coming and visiting with us and when we thought they had a beautiful home we'd tell them and they said can we please just share why we are church and why we're in existence could we share with you what we believe you know what I never had one person tell me no you can't do that not one and so Kenny would watch me week after week after week after week And the idea was, sooner or later, he was going to do it. He agreed to that. And so, as we were walking up to the sidewalk this particular evening, I said, Ken, it's your turn. He looked at me, and I said, it's your turn. Oh, no, 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 Pastor, I'm not ready yet. Kenny, it's your turn. We got into the house. Oh, we really appreciate y'all coming to our church. You have a lovely home. One of the reasons why we're here is to say thank you, but, you know, we would love for you to give us permission to tell you what we believe. Oh, sure, please. I looked at Kenny. (laughs) He looked back at me. I looked at Kenny, and he looked back at me. I looked at Kenny. (laughs) Bless his heart, ordinary man, typical, but fearful. He was useful, but could he overcome the fear? Here's Kenny. He reaches into his pocket to get out of his little New Testament. He could hardly read the pages. He had the Romans Road written down. I just waited. And he made his way through it. And that's the way some of you are. You've never shared the gospel because you're scared to death to try it. That's Ananias. Can you identify? 
very typical, very fearful. But God was telling him he could be very useful. Now watch what he does. Verse 17. Not only is he typical and fearful and useful, but I want you to notice he was faithful. Verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Can you imagine him? He's shaking. Look at him. He's going to do it. But he's scared to death. How about you? When I look at that text, it tells me something. It tells me, child of God, that people like you and me can do extraordinary tasks if we ever can get over the hurdle of fear and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to go to the house. That's our job. That's what he's called us to do. And as I think about that, I think about some people, some of them are my heroes. In 1850, on the 6th of January, 1850, a 15-year-old boy was seeking the Lord. He had gone from church to church in London, and he hadn't been saved. And he was so concerned about his soul. And his mother said to him on a Saturday night, why don't you go to Artillery Road Primitive Methodist Church? So the next morning he got up and he went. There was a blizzard. It was white out conditions. And he finally found Artillery Road, turned down, went to the Primitive Methodist Church, climbed through all the snow, and the preacher wasn't even there with so much snow. There's only about 12 people there. And a layman had to do what we call in homiletics an impromptu sermon. He went to Isaiah 45 and verse 22. Look unto me and be ye saved. That's the verse. We know the verse. We know one person who was there. We have no way of knowing who the layman was that preached the sermon that caused Charles Haddon Spurgeon to be saved. We have no idea. An ordinary person who did an extraordinary task. Does that make sense to you? That's Ananias. There was a disciple from Damascus. His name was Ananias. He's the one who ministered to the apostle Paul. A layman who preaches an impromptu sermon leads that 15-year-old Charles Haddon Spurgeon to Christ. Ordinary person doing an extraordinary task. There's another one. Catapult yourself five years forward and cross the Atlantic to Boston. There's a young fellow 
who's working in his uncle's shoe store. History does tell us about the ordinary person in this situation. His name was Ed Kimball. He taught Sunday school. He was concerned about one of his students who didn't know the Lord. So he left his job. He went to see his student. And in the back storage room of his uncle's shoe store, Ed Kimball led D.L. Moody to Christ. Who is he? A Sunday school teacher. Name was Ed Kimball. What else do we know? Nothing. He's an ordinary person that God used to do an extraordinary test. Are you getting the message this morning? There's a third one. There's a fellow by the name of Mordecai Ham. Maybe never heard of him. And it's no wonder. His ministry would be that he would go and set up a tent. He'd get people to come and he preached the gospel. He was one of these guys, the only thing we know is that he had a tent, and when he preached, he turned purple because he yelled so loud. <laughs> that's, that's about it. But in September 1934, Mordecai Ham was used to win Billy Graham to Christ. I would like to challenge Fellowship Bible Church this morning to attempt what I call the Ananias Adventure. You have no right to use the excuse God made you just an ordinary person. He wants to use you like he's used me so that he gets the glory. John Talley, you've got to be kidding. You, the ordinary person, you've got to be kidding. Yes, he wants to use you and me. Ordinary people to do an extraordinary task so he gets the glory. How are we going to fill these chairs when ordinary people are willing to overcome fear and accomplish the extraordinary task. I met Hannah yesterday. She's in Italy serving God. A little bitty teeny bitty thing. <laughs> ordinary person? doing an extraordinary task. And God can use you to do exactly the same thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and the practicality of your word. I pray that you will use ordinary people from this congregation who will overcome the fear and take the challenge and go to accomplish extraordinary tasks. 
Now, while every head's bowed and every eye's closed, if you're here today and you say, Dr. Telly, I needed that. I'm an ordinary person and I know it. But I know God wants to use ordinary people to do extraordinary tasks. I want to be one of those people. I'm willing to take the plunge. If you're here today and you mean that with all of your heart, I'd like to pray for you. While every head's bowed and every eye's closed, I'll know what you mean if you just lift up your hand and I'll pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. That's not my point. Just let me know you want me to pray. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I see it. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. You can put it down. Anybody else? Dr. Talley, pray for me. I want to be able to do the extraordinary task as an ordinary person. Yes, sir. I see it. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I see it in the back. Yes. You can put it down. Anybody else? Father, thank you so much for your word and how it works in our hearts. I pray that those who have lifted the hand here this morning, acknowledging they're ordinary people, but they want to do an extraordinary task, help them plunge into the Adonai's adventure. And others, Father, that this church might reach this community for Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.